Hi, my name is Derek Schneider, and I own Visiting Angels in Wichita Falls, Texas, and Lawton, Oklahoma. This podcast is called Addressing the Elephant because I believe it is better to be proactive rather than reactive when it comes to aging well. So each episode, I'll invite someone that has a ton of experience about an issue or topic that relates to elder care, which is a topic that if you live long enough, we'll all have to face. I hope you really enjoy. I wish I found you a long time ago. We could have taken it easy, could have taken it slow. And passed our old lives like a sweet summer day. Like we was on the water watching time melt away. All right. Uh, my name is Derek Schneider, and we are addressing the elephant. And I'm here with Courtney Galloway with... Hospice of Wichita Falls. Hey, Courtney. Hey, Derek. Hey, so tell everybody about yourself. Introduce yourself to us. Yes, my name is Courtney Galloway. I am the Director of Social Services at Hospice of Wichita Falls. So that is just a big title for um, the little role of supervising social workers and chaplains, our bereavement department, all of those um, social, spiritual, emotional elements of providing support to terminally ill patients. So I am a social worker by trade, by heart, and um, in my life. So how long have you been at Hospice Wichita Falls? I celebrated 14 years last June. Yes, 14 years. Awesome. You blink and that goes by really, really fast. It's one of those things where, um, you know, talking about loving what you do and every day getting to go into work not only as a social worker, but in that particular field, helping vulnerable people. Yeah, you blink and that time goes by really, really fast. Yeah. So, so as you kind of like, you know, navigated college and yes. decided, okay, this is like, what kind of drew you to this field? Let me tell you just a really, really quick story. Um, a shout out to my old friend who has now passed away, Michael Lanier. Mm-hmm. We were friends in high school and kind of lost um, direction, chose different paths in our lives. We reconnected the summer um, he passed away, just a few short months before he did. And we're talking, and he's like, so what do you do now? I'm a social worker, and he immediately laughs at me. Like, Michael, why is that so funny? And he says, because you were always trying to help people in high school. It was like you were helping everybody that had, you know, family issues or uh, substance abuse issues or people that were struggling in school. He's like, you were always wanting to take those people home. And that's when I kind of realized, I think I've always been a social worker. I just went to school and made it official and got the credentials. (laughs) I think I've always been a social worker at heart. So when I say that, I'm not kidding. Like, I think it's legit. (laughs) What a cool story. Yeah. So, um, so you went to, where did you grow up? Where'd you grow up? I grew up here in Wichita Falls. Okay. I claim it. We moved here when I was in kindergarten in 80, ooh, I don't know, a long right. time ago and, um, stayed here. So I graduated from Rider high school, immediately went to MSU, but I didn't declare a major for a year and a half. Okay. I guess I didn't realize there was a thing as social work and then discovered yeah. the department and immediately knew that's what I wanted to do. So I graduated with my bachelor's. In 05, May of 05, yes, um, took the licensing exam. I waited for a little while. That sucker can be intimidating. Mm. So took the exam in February of 06 and then stumbled across the job at Hospice of Wichita Falls that summer. Wow. And so your first job was a social worker at Hospice. Yes. Yeah. And so, so you're, 
you know, kind of kind of describe what your your role as a social worker at hospice, because like, I'd imagine every there's different that you can be a social worker. Right. But, you know, in, in the hospice realm, it's going to be very different from, well, of course, someone that's dealing with children, but you're dealing with right. a particular um, way of life. Um, so kind of talk a little, about, a little bit about that. I think that everybody, I don't think, we know everybody has their strengths and their weaknesses and everybody has a, a talent that they need to use. So in my undergrad program, I did um, a 400-hour internship at CPS. And um, God bless those people. That was not a strength of mine. So I mm. knew I'd, I couldn't work in that particular field. And when I went back to do my master's and graduated in 2015. Where did you do your master's? I went through an online program at University of Texas at Arlington. Okay, cool. Okay. An amazing accredited program. So yeah. if you're looking to get your master's in social work, it's a yeah. really good school. Did that internship at um, in mental health. Okay. And again, realized that was not a strength. I could be successful in that, but yep. realizing that... that um, Social work, hospice social work was really where my heart has grown to be. So that is, social work across the board is advocacy for that patient, for that client, whoever you're trying to help. Mm. Um, And so that very much is a word that carries over into hospice care for terminally ill patients. What I love about this particular field is just the hands-on. So being... I say this so many times, I feel like I'm a broken record, but it's, it's so, it's so real. So being invited into a person's home, into a person's life when they are so vulnerable and have so many needs and don't know how to navigate what is being thrown at them and being able to help them. Mm -hmm. Um, it's amazing feeling to get to go home and lay your head on the pillow at night. So it's, it's one of those situations where, your your cup is being filled just as much as, or maybe even more so than the cup that you're filling for other people. Sure. What what is like? Is there a common like? And we'll get into this a little bit. But what's the, you know, what is the big common thread that whenever you go into a home or you start having these conversations with families that they are always like, oh, what is the oh my gosh, like, what I didn't know this that you guys help with on a daily basis. Uh, several things pop into mind speaking on social work specifically um helping them understand the trajectory of their disease which is also very much a nursing thing but putting that into their language and then how do you navigate that so what does my future look like and then how do i get to that future so then having to have those conversations about like advanced directives i think is the really big one that's so a talk big about elephant. talk about what what is an advanced directive because that so, is like not a uh, you know a term that mo- no. like people like utilize on an everyday basis like so what and we're seeing a shift in that too Derek like when I first started at Hospice of Wichita Falls the majority of our patients that we served were they were elderly they for the most part, it seemed like so many of them had gone to their attorney. They had their will drawn up. They mm. had their advanced directives drawn up. So we're seeing increasingly more um, folks that don't have those completed for whatever reason. So having to do more education on what that is, I had no idea what it was when yeah. I started working there. Um, so an advanced directive is essentially opportunities for a person to put their wishes regarding their mer- medical care in writing, on paper, 
as a guideline, as something for other people to follow when making those decisions on their behalf. So there are several different forms that go along with that. Um, some forms some people have heard of, some forms they haven't, some forms they don't want to talk about. Yeah. And it, it's difficult conversations, but um, I guess apparently when you're a social worker, you have people skills, and so you get... Uh, and you're advocating a bunch of like these, okay... You know, you're just asking a bunch of questions and trying right. to ga- gather, I would imagine, a bunch of information. You just point them and give them these tools or right. whatever to kind of go, well, this is the best route in which so you can, your your words you said to um, to kind of create that picture of what it looks like at their end, right. of, of, end of their life. And so I'm just so like fascinated by, I guess, the, you know, those those conversations and like when should those happen? Is it, is it when somebody gets a diagnosis that says, okay, you have six months to live, now you're on hospice? Or is it, no, we should be having these conversations um, when you're 50 years old? You should be having these conversations when you move out of your parents' house. You should be having these conversations when you get married, mm-hmm. when you have kids. Like These are responsible, and I say that, and I didn't do it myself, I mean... Um, if you don't know about it, but I mean the, okay, so perfect example. One of the forms that we talk about and provide the education, if they want to complete this form, we can assist them. We can provide them with a copy is the medical power of attorney. You are appointing somebody to make medical decisions on your behalf if you are unable to do so. So that means when you have a terminal diagnosis and you are no longer responsive, but that also means when you go um, under anesthesia for a routine procedure, like if something were to happen, who's going to speak up for you? In the state of Texas, as with other states, there is a chain of command. There is a ladder. So if you don't have that form completed, it'll follow the steps for the other people. Um, But having those forms done and appointing that person, somebody that you feel shares your values that would honor your wishes is the best way to go. So I start at hospice. I learn what a medical power of attorney is. I go home. I'm talking to my parents. Um, I'm not married. I have two minor children. Who's going to be my medical power of attorney? Mm. Who shares my values and can make that decision for me? I'm talking to my parents. You know, would you talk to my mom? Would you be my medical power of attorney? We have these scenarios. She's like, Courtney, no, I would keep you plugged up to life support forever. I'm like, okay, check, you are not my medical power of attorney because that's not what I <laughs> want, right? Much, yeah. But that that's a situation of a parent having to make that decision for their child. Sure. Yeah. So I go to my little sister, hey, here's a situation. And the first thing she says is, well, heck yeah, I'll pull the plug. I'm like, okay, then you're my medical power of attorney. Right. So who, who would um, follow through on those wishes for me? So that it doesn't, in the, the heat of a moment, you know, we we take chances with our lives getting into our vehicles every day. It's wet outside. There's going to yeah. be a wreck at some point today. Yeah. If something were to happen to me and they reach out to my mom, you know, that's not the person or it's not fair to put her in that situation. Right. So have it in writing who I would want yeah. to make that decision. Yeah, it's great. It's great wisdom. So, um, so you're going through and you're having these conversations what is what is like the hardest thing that you think you have to do uh, to kind of help them navigate um, these big decisions? I don't think I would call it hard. Maybe it's hard for some people, yeah. but it's just having patience. 
and loving on folks. Um, some of the forms, like the do not resuscitate form, is a big deal. And people feel like that is you're, you're playing with somebody's life, which I don't feel that you are. But some people that don't understand, and this is new to them, they haven't had the, the education and the experience. I think people sometimes just need to have things repeated and they just need to, um, we need to be patient with them and love on them. Yeah. So, and that's kind of like a, you know, the, the form, the description of the form, the title of form, it kind of describes that do not resuscitate. So, um, so, but talk about it just so, you know, um, you know, because we're going to address this elephant. Yes, we are. No one wants to talk about. And, um, people, um, sometimes have a, a notion of what it is and what it's not. But there's there's certain, if I'm not, I, I may be incorrect, but there's certain different types of do not resuscitates there's, uh, for different situations that you're in. Right. So this particular form that we work with people to get completed is the out-of-hospital do not resuscitate okay. form. So in the state of Texas, if something were to happen, 911 is called, paramedics arrive on the scene. If they do not see this form completed, they are supposed to initiate resuscitation, CPR, and take this person to the hospital. Where should they have this in order to like make it possible so this paramedic or or team comes in? Where should they have it? We always educate and encourage them to post it somewhere. Some people will put it on the back of their door. Some people will put it on their fridge. I had a lady that laminated hers, and she tacked it on the wall above her bed. She said there was no way it was going to be missed. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, making okay. copies, a copy of yeah. any directive is just as good as the original. Got Share it. it with all your friends. Yep. Wow. Okay. Okay. So what other, what are their, what are their, so you, this is the out of hospital. Yes. Do not resuscitate. And yes. then is there, is there other forms that you guys go over? Um, we also go over the directive to physicians, okay. which is basically the opportunity to put in writing what your wishes are regarding your care. So we have the medical power of attorney who is going to make my wishes or going to make my decisions would follow my wishes. The out of hospital DNR, which is basically putting it in very simple words. Do you want us to be selfish and try to keep you here by performing CPR or allow you to pass away peacefully. And then the directive to physicians is what do you personally consider quality of life? And when you no longer feel like you meet those quality of life standards, what care would you not want your family or your decision maker to continue to seek? Yeah. So let's say I'm, I'm married and I don't have these things in place. Mm -hmm. Like, is it, is it, you know, is it going to be my, my, my spouse that is automatic or is it, is there something it's not automatic or, or is it automatic? It is automatic. So that's very much the first thing that they're going to do. If you don't have a medical power of attorney on record is go to your spouse. Um, then they're going to go to adult children and, um, parents and then reasonably available relatives reasonably available. Yeah. It's a very, that's a very loose term. So having situations where, um, it, we get a patient from the hospital and the hospital is very familiar with this patient that the kids are not involved or whoever may not be involved when they are referred to us, we have to do due diligence and try to make contact with these kids, even knowing that they're not going to be available. So it's just making those appropriate attempts to try to reach somebody that might know this person 
be related and know what their wishes are. Yeah. Okay. So you, you handle a bunch of forms. You kind of give all this information out, mm-hmm. which is super, super valuable. Um, but I would imagine there's way more to just kind of, you know, um, pushing papers around and, and helping yeah. them navigate all this. And so like, talk to me a little bit more about other things that you do maybe on an emotional level for families. Absolutely. Um, every person is different. And what I love, uh, again, I, I feel like I repeat myself so often. Hospice of Wichita Falls is a nonprofit organization. So we're not going to um, treat anybody differently with their ability to pay. So we go into the mansion and um, see that patient. We go into the mission and we see that patient and love on everybody and treat them the same and meet their needs. Everybody is going to have unique needs, but we can um, tailor those plans of care to do what they're, what's needed. So there will be the person that um, they are isolated. They've been sick. Their family has deserted them. And that's where we come in to provide that emotional support that they're not alone. It's just being a companion at times. But then when I go to the mission to see that patient, obviously our needs are different there. The hours that our social workers have spent standing in line at the food pantry or the coat closet at the mission because our folks don't have what they need is it's invaluable. I can't even measure that time. So a hand to hold, a shoulder to cry on, and just somebody to be able to talk about these things with. So what you see with emotions a lot of time is we try to protect each other and not display those emotions. So especially in working with our kiddos um, through our grief services, we see that adults might mask those emotions to protect the kids, but the kids are very much aware of what's going on and they might try to mask their emotions to protect the adults. So you see that with patients too. And so being able to come in to be that mediator in those conversations, um, to be that person that can be a safe place, that third party that's not in the midst of the family dynamics to help kind of sort some of that out. Do you have an example of kind of what you're talking about in terms of, you mentioned a a, a, a child kind of maybe bottles that up a little bit more mm-hmm. than 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 a an adult. Can mm-hmm. it, do you have an example of what that like may look like? You know, and I, I think specifically about um, a family where there were kids in the household. Um, and then it was told to us by the adults, well, they don't know, you know, we haven't talked Mm -hmm. to them. They don't know that this person is sick and getting asked to speak to these kids. And when you get one-on-one, it, it took a couple of sessions with, um, this particular child to get him to really open up, but he did share. He was like, I I know he's sick. Like he's, he walks different, you know, people are not dumb. Right. I don't know if that's the right way to yeah, say it. Sure, they sure. know what's going on. Yeah. It's just not knowing how to express that. So bottling that up, putting that aside, if that's denial or just some coping mechanism um, to protect the moment. But um, but definitely seeing that with kids and adults. Just yeah. not knowing. It's, it's uncomfortable. I mean, we only die once. And so we can also just talk about illness and that. But... Um, it, it's a new territory every time. And so how do you, how do you talk about that? Yeah, it's good. Um, so whenever you are, um, you know, with a family and you're sitting down and, um, you know, have you, 
I guess is there a is there a moment in time in which that you feel like um, where a question that they ask is like is is too difficult to to kind of answer? I bet so. You know what we get asked a lot, all of the disciplines, and I feel incredibly assured in saying that hospices around the world, that question is, when am I going to die? And we don't have that crystal ball. Right. And I think regardless of any question that I would get asked that would be difficult, I think it's important in my role as a social worker to admit not having that information, but assuring that person that as your advocate, I'm going to go research it. I'm going to go figure it out. It might not be the answer you want, but we're going to figure out what it is. Yeah. Talked about maybe like, and I don't know if you even go down this route. I just to imagine um, this is like a common, you know, okay, six months to, to live. Somebody gets to this diagnosis and, and then my thoughts is yes, I'm going to get these forms together if I don't already have those, but also what's my, what's my, what's my arrangements look like? What yeah. does that look like? Do you got to help navigate, um, um, the funeral aspect of things too? We certainly have those conversations yeah. and it just popped to mind this one time I had, um, a patient and he, he was older and he and his wife um, lived together and I tried to talk to her about arrangements and she flat out looked at me and she said, I'm not going to talk about that because then I don't have to do it. Mm. Well, we do have to do it. We all have to do it. So doing arrangements in advance is a gift to your family. Yeah. And I sit here, I don't have my own arrangements made, um, but my parents do have theirs. And I realize now that that's a gift to your family. That's right. a big stress to have to do after your loved one dies. So yeah, absolutely. You know, these are options. These are funeral homes. Several funeral homes will come out to your home and talk to you. Um, and those are scary things too. You know, I can't even imagine the number of hours that our chaplains have spent sitting with a patient planning their funeral. But then that's a gift. That patient passes. They know what dress she wants to wear and what scripture yeah. she wants read and the song sung and the kids don't have to worry about that. Sure. So it's not appropriate for everybody to talk about because right. some people that's that's just not how their chapter is going to roll. Yeah. Sometimes it's much quicker than you anticipate. Yeah. And then, you know, and, and I would imagine, you know, my, my dad passed away, you know, uh, three, yeah. three years ago and he was on hospice and we kind of had that set up and we already knew. And, and so that's, you know, one neat thing with hospice, even though my dad passed away really young in that, like they were helping to navigate us through that. And he lived up in Iowa. And so like just kind of, thinking through all of those things, Mm -hmm. it already made like a difficult situation. Like, well, just a little bit less difficult. We have a book that we um, created uh, several years ago. It's called a my time book. And it was definitely one of those things like what, what all do we need to prepare for? Because financially, legally, all of those things, there's a lot. So we have a book, it's called my time and it it goes through that. It, it has a checklist, you know, do you have these advanced directives completed? Mm. Does your family have access to your bank account information? Most more times than not, you know, there's one person in the family that pays the bills. Well, does that spouse know how to access those accounts and pay those bills? Um, account numbers and all of those things, funeral arrangements, social security information. If you've got stocks, you know, does your family have access to that stuff? So the book can be served as a tool. I mean, you can go by the office and pick one up and have it prepared. And yeah, and then your family has that. There's like a digital copy. We can maybe like 
I would like to get a digital copy and then maybe we can get that and put it in again it was our first like second podcast or whatever right. I don't know what's that's a really done, good idea but, it, but I believe you can put it like in the show notes and put a link to something where people have a digital copy to this my time I think that is fantastic super super valuable if I, like somebody we may have like three people to listen to this which is those three people. Hey, those would, three people need a my time book. That's exactly right. So, that'd be awesome. That would be really awesome. Yeah, we're um, gonna. Uh, well, I'll remember to do that. We're gonna do. Yeah, that. that's really cool. I don't know that we have a digital copy, but that's not. I a think all you have to thing. do is like scan it. In, yeah, and there it is. It's digital. We're talking about redoing our website, so that oh, would really? be really yeah, silly to, to be, not do you that. You need to have it on your website, a yeah. my time thing, and then you need to post it like all digital on your old social media and say, "Hey, everybody needs a my time to." Because it's your time. You know, hey, and I, go ahead. Good, sorry, go ahead. You too. No, I'm just saying that's that's neat with technology changes. Right. Like yeah. you can't just hand out copies like mm-hmm. a digital. Makes yeah. sense. I think that'll make so much easier. Reach it. Um, so your role now kind of as a social worker, you're kind of over a group of people. Yes. So sir. I guess like what's like what's um, how do you make that that best role? I'm going to be really, really honest. I, it's the staff. Yeah. I fully believe that it is the, the personalities that are called to social work and chaplaincy and the people that are drawn to hospice care, that bus rolls itself. I'm going to be really honest. It is just a bunch of people that long to help people in need. And so my job is to give them the tools that they need to do that. And they are extremely competent professional adults that get it done they're amazing it yeah makes it easy then. my job is easy it's easy i hope my boss isn't one of the three that listens to this he's like it's too easy <laughs> all right here's some more work here's yeah, some more here's people some, here's some yeah here's some things to manage to make it less easy you know i think in anything there's of course there's regulations and laws that you have yeah. to follow but if you have the people if people have the why they can endure anyhow mm. we have that quote don't ask me who said it, but the quote is hanging up on one of our doors in our office. Say it again. If a person has a why, they can endure anyhow. That's good. So do, does hospice have like core values that they kind of like? Yes. Post up and be like, okay, mm-hmm. if we stay within these. Yes. No matter what, right? Yep. We're, you know, even the day is hard. We stick back to this. Absolutely. Going into our training lab where we hold our orientation, our core values, those behavioral values are painted on the wall. I'm going to miss some of them, but that service to excellence, you know, trust, honesty, integrity, all of those things. You're right. Like even when it's the worst day and you weren't able to reach that patient that you wanted to because of that barrier, um, you were yelled at or kicked out of a home for some reason. I mean, we all have horrible days, but you know, the limitations and not being able to do your job, but drawing back to those core values while you're there, then you can get through those hows. That's awesome. And I would imagine like w- one thing that's always like, and I think whenever, um, hospice of Wichita falls, this, uh, for whatever reason, this always stands out to me. One purple, uh, yeah. but, but why purple? Talk about that. Well, um, that's a really good question. I think purple is, um, that's just a color we've always gone with. Yeah. Why were, why did we choose purple? I don't know. I've always wondered that. I'm sure I've heard. We'll figure it out. Everyone wears purple. Everyone, (laughs) everyone has purple on like, yes, 
if they're wearing like the scrubs and stuff they wear in purple, yeah. Yeah. Or your name badge is purple. Yes. So there's, I bet there's some type of like purple symbol of stand, something. Yeah. I'm sure there is. I wish I'd done my research on no, that. No, no, I can't. I, I, anyway, the second thing that I always think yeah. of, purple is first, but the other one is this uh, this term, and I'm going to maybe mess up the term, but the term is uh, no one dies alone. Yes. Is that the term? Yes, absolutely. Speak about that, if you don't mind. Absolutely. So um, I think that that, I say I think a lot, that is something, it, it's just a, a, a human right, like, Nobody needs to be isolated and unsupported. So it's not just, I don't just view that as that physical presence, although that's a big piece too, yes. but you are not alone in this journey. Yeah. Um, even though some people are, if we pick up patients, Derek, that they, they don't have visitors other than the staff at a nursing home. They yeah. live at home alone. There is no family and we are that social to them too, you know. Yeah. They, they lost connection with their church. The pastor quit coming by because the pastor left the church 20 years ago. Right. They're sick. They can't get out of the house. So forming those relationships and so that that person doesn't feel alone. It's good. You know, it's, it's, it's so much more than just that physical yeah, presence, totally. but being that's, that's the thing, the beautiful thing about hospice. Mm -hmm. Have you heard of our, the holistic approach Tell me about it. that is coming at people from every angle mm. um, of support. So it's not just medical, medical needs. You know, the majority feel very safe in saying the majority of pain at the end of life is not physical. It is spiritual. It is social. It is emotional. Maybe it puts off into a physical, you know, my stomach hurts. Well, you know, is that related to some anxiety is, you know, what are we experiencing? It's not always just a physical cause. So if we can come to these patients and families with this holistic approach of addressing all of those things collectively, having a better outcome for these people, I think it's, I love it. I yeah. think it's amazing. Yeah, that's awesome. I can remember in, in, my dad's st story in, in he lived up in Iowa. I have a brother in North Carolina and a oh, brother wow. in Vancouver, Canada. And I'm here in Wichita Falls, Texas. I'm sorry. And so, <laughs> um, and going up there and visiting him and all those different things and remembering, um, like hearing stories of people to go visit him and stuff. And, and he had family around like his brothers and his mom. And but he couldn't at the time, he couldn't get out and see his mom. And, but his brother was come back by, but I, I, I was really always very like grateful that like, uh, I don't know if my dad like really went to, uh, to Catholic church very often. I don't, I'm not really positive of that, but his priest came to mm -hmm. him and they would sit around and have a, have a beer and watch the Cardinals. And I can remember like hearing stories of the priest, like falling asleep, <laughs> watching the Cardinals and, and, and they would just like take like buddy naps together. You know what I mean? Like that's not awesome. like together, but like in yeah. different, different chairs or whatever like that, of course. But like, and I was like, oh, that's really, really meaningful to me that like they, that he yeah. did that in that like he had somebody to kind of what you're talking about, like Absolutely. that emotional connection where maybe nobody else was able to. Right. Absolutely. I think that's a wonderful thing about our chaplaincy and that spiritual support is it's yeah. not going in to pass judgment on somebody and we're not going to go in and throw a Bible at them. That is right. absolutely not the goal. Right. It is what gives your life meaning. How do you find that connection? We're all spiritual beings. Some yeah. of us just find that basis in a particular religion. Yeah. So how can we help you connect and find that meaning? 
So if it's sitting and drinking a beer and watching the Cardinals game, that's awesome. Some of our patients, it's being outside with nature. Some of them, it is going fishing on the lake. Well, by golly, can we make that happen? Then that's what we're going to try to do. Um, it's, it's just finding that, that meaning and that connection. That's so good. It's amazing. Um, man, Courtney, you're the best. Oh, thank you. And thank you so much for taking the time being here. Your wisdom is like, is awesome. And I like really grateful for you being with, uh, just, you know, a presence in the community. Cause it's like, we, we need people like you and I know hospice of which falls and, and others too, but like have that, but I'm so really thankful for you to come on here and talk about your all your wisdom is really really important thank you for having me and again like i said it's easy when you love what you do sweet thanks courtney thank you i wish i found 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 you